Judy Blume's landmark YA classic makes it to the screen five decades later, still packed with laughs and poignance and bitter truths and the enduring embarrassments of adolescence. That's from Alonzo Duralde of the film Verdict. One of our featured reviews this week is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Amazing title. And of course, the classic Judy Blume novel, which I, among many, have read. It's uh, such an iconic piece of work. I finally got around to seeing it. Film came out last April. What the hell? It's new to me. We've got other new movies to discuss this week, uh, including the fact that 20 Days in Mariupol right now is the favorite to win the Best Documentary Oscar. I watched it. It's available on YouTube. You should all see it. And a couple of short films as well. The Oscar-nominated short, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. 40 Minutes. It's on Netflix. It's from director Wes Anderson. It's also favorite to win right now. And also the short film Strange Way of Life, starring Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal from the noted Spanish auteur Pedro Almodovar. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, and Strange Way of Life. I actually saw on the plane to go to the Critics' Choice Awards. Uh, the other two I watched recently. As far as our old movie is concerned, we continue our in-depth look at the greatness of my man Paul Giamatti. We're all hoping, here at Cinephile, wins an Academy Award. His film is called Private Life. It was on Netflix. I saw it five years ago, and I liked it a lot. I watched it again. I liked it even more. You should all watch it, and I'll talk about it today. And our wild card, but really it's our new, because the new movie that everyone's talking about is One Love, the new Bob Marley biopic, not biopic, as David Sampson would say. It's in theaters next Wednesday on Valentine's Day. And if you listen to last week's episode, you know I saw the sneak preview. I had the whole theater to myself. Incredible. What a dream to be able to watch that. And then I interviewed Kingsley Benadier. So interview took place last Sunday. We're airing it today. I uh, hope you all enjoy One Love, the film coming out next week. And hope you enjoy the film with Kingsley Benadier. If you've noticed, no Chris Cody so far because he's on assignment this week. He's in Las Vegas at the Super Bowl. So thank you to Taylor Pinch Hitting, who is uh, recording this for me. And then hopefully Chris will be putting this all together. And you can all listen to it as soon as possible. Um, again, we've got great guests coming down the pike. And thank you once again to Nicole Newman, who was very good last week, talking about the disappearance of Cher Height. And it's a very good documentary you should all check out. Uh, hopefully, like I said, it's available streaming, VOD, somewhere in theaters as well. Uh, hopefully, it's a film that you all enjoy and uh, appreciate the racy subject matter. All right, let's get to it. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And, you know, actually, I want to do something else first. Um, I wanted to discuss, there was a really excellent interview which was done on, it's, it's sag after, so I believe it's available on YouTube. But basically... You know, I always appreciate you guys are such a great audience, always sending me things you know that I'm going to be uh, enjoying right up my alley. So Cookie Jason, Cookie Monster, A New Day, he messaged me on, uh, on IG and goes, hey, SAG Awards 2024, there's a roundtable conversation with all your guys. And Dave Carter conducted the interview. Dave Carter of TCM. I love Turner Classic Movies, long-time Entertainment Weekly guy. We're going to be interviewing Dave shortly, by the way. I believe that interview is taking place tomorrow. We'll hopefully air it next week. Dave is an excellent new book, and it's all about the Oscars, and he does these interviews with 50 Oscar award winners. Anyway, Dave moderates this conversation with Coleman Domingo, Bradley Cooper, my man Paul Giamatti, Kelly Murphy, and Jeffrey Wright, and it's excellent. So honestly, if you get a chance, just go look up. SAG Awards 2024 roundtable with all these guys. It's amazing to listen to their stories. Just about, and I think it's really instructive. I don't know how many of you are out there are actors or aspiring actors or interested in the business, already in the business, but really good stories. Like Jeffrey Wright talks about, you know, taking classes and um, 
you know, waiting tables at night and then going to Pimlico Racetrack in Baltimore to stretch that dollar a little bit more. And uh, the lessons he would learn, he said, you know, going to the racetrack to make money, but also look at other gamblers and their habits and their behaviors. You know, Bradley Cooper says how much he just loved movies and television and how Vince Vaughn and Wedding Crashers was such an inspiration because he was there on set watching him and Vince was just so fearless and what he was doing take after take. And he realized that level of commitment is something he wanted to do. And eventually he was able to get his big break, um, not only with the hangover, which kind of put him on the map as an actor, but he didn't really want to do in that kind of stuff, like no offense to Vince Vaughn or others, Zach Galifianakis, uh, you know, Ed Helms, but he said he wanted to be doing more stuff like Silver Lines Play. But once David O. Russell gave him that chance, then he was off. And now it's really, it's Bradley Cooper's world, and we're just living in it with stuff like Maestro and A Star is Born. Domingo talks about his journey, his life. Killian Murphy wanted to be in a band, right? Irish singer. That's what he wanted to do. And he goes, I failed at that. So eventually I went into acting and developed this wonderful relationship with Chris Renola. And of course, Giamatti is amazing. He, he said, you know, I never majored in theater. I was was doing theater. Then I moved up to Seattle, did some experimental theater out there, was able to get work. But he said, the fact that my dad died at age 50, he goes, like, my dad was young. He goes, my dad never got to see me act. He saw me like, you know, in college in a couple of plays, but on no real level. So once my dad died, I was like, no, I really got to do something that I'm passionate about. And I realized acting is what it was. And he also said, in terms of auditioning, he said, you know, I, I never looked at it as something stressful. Like, I just I just enjoyed the experience. Giamatti goes, I just went in there being like, this is going to be fun. Like, oh, cool. I get to do this character or this voice or this kind of fun approach. And hopefully it works out. That, that positive approach helps. De Niro has famously said with auditions, go in there like you're not going to get it. You know, don't be stressed, but you're not going to get it anyways. So just go in there and that will loosen you up to be carefree and, and to get the kind of performance you want. And it's a fun conversation seeing the five of them talking because Jeffrey Wright and Domingo know each other a little bit. And then Bradley Cooper says, well, don't forget, I know Giamatti. He goes, me and Paul know each other from the Hangover Part 2. And Paul starts laughing. It was 2014, man. We were hanging out at a high rise in Bangkok and they both laughed. They said their, their memory. I do remember that scene. Giamatti's like scolding him. Cooper's like, all I remember is Giamatti's yelling at me. And um, it, there was like no barriers. Like we were just really at the top of this high rise. You could just run and go ahead and jump to your doom. But it was, uh, it's really cool, I think, just to see actors riffing with each other. They all have mutual respect for each other, and uh, it's really nice to see. So definitely check out that conversation if you have a minute. Also, I don't have it on me, so I'll read some excerpts next week. But uh, Scorsese, Leo, and Lily Gladstone run the cover of Variety talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. It's a very good conversation. Um, so if you pick up your issue of Variety, you can uh, read that and enjoy it. I'll read a few excerpts next week. And I mentioned earlier, Ed Zwick were working on the famed director, Glory, The Last Samurai, uh, Blood Diamond. Uh, co-creator of 30-something, My So-Called Life, special talent. I read his book, 290 pages. It's going to be available next week or the day before Valentine's Day, February 13th. He's very busy right now on his book tour. Uh, we, were, we were slated to get him. Unfortunately, we couldn't make it happen, so hopefully we'll get him at some point. And uh, I mentioned that only because, speaking of excerpts, I hopefully we're going to get Ed, and he'll tell the stories himself. But we'll give it a few weeks, and if for some reason we, we cannot get him on the podcast, I'll just read the excerpts from his excellent book, and you can all enjoy it. Because trust me, he takes some shots at Julia Roberts and Matthew Broderick on the filming of Glory and his mother. They were not pleasant to deal with, and uh, I'll leave it at that as the tease. Go get the book. It's available next week once again. So check out that interview uh, with Giamatti and friends online. I really think that you will enjoy it. Okay, let's get to the movies now, shall we? As we're flying solo. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Over 50 years, Judy Bloom's classic and groundbreaking novel has impacted generations. Again, I saw this on the flight. I'm not a big flight movie viewer. Just not crazy about the experience. I'd rather be reading. Um, quite honestly, especially on a flight like that. Like, oh, five hours, great. I'll turn my phone off and I'm just going to do some reading. But at the time, I think uh, I didn't have the Zwick book yet. This is a couple weeks ago now. So I didn't have any reading on me. Maybe I think I had like a Variety magazine or a Hollywood report. I flew through those. took me an hour. I said, let me see the in-flight movies. Oh, all right, there are God's me, Margaret. And my, more, my greatest motivation to watch it 
was Rachel McAdams did win the Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actress Award from the L.A. Film Critics. So I said, maybe there's an off chance she gets nominated for an Oscar. I don't think so. It may be just in case. Um, let's at least be uh, prepped. Didn't get a SAG nomination, which kind of led to that indication. But I said, what the hell? Let me just watch it, right? Let me get my work done, my homework done here. I'm going to fly to L.A. And uh, to be honest, it was a very good movie. This is not going to be a film that is up my alley. Clearly, it's about a adolescent girl and the, and the main crux of the plot, if you can call it such, is about her wondering when she's going to get her period. So, listen, I'm not a woman. I don't have any uh, daughters. I, I grew up with my cousins. It was all boys. You know, I don't, I don't have any frame of reference with this kind of thing. But I can appreciate when a movie is done with sensitivity and when it's done with smarts. And uh, kudos to the entire crew for doing an excellent job. Let's start with McAdams, fellow Canadian, fantastic in Spotlight, loved her. Um, she's really good here playing the mother who's, you know, dealing with some things here. And, and particularly the... the um, issues she has with her parents you know at one point she's telling her daughter you know, how close she is to her and why she cares about her so much because listen you know i'm there's a reason you don't talk to grandma and grandpa my parents and the daughter naturally asks you know well why is that i gotta understand abby Ryder fortson by the way is the actress playing margaret simon and uh she said you know they just didn't like the fact i married a jew and she's like really she's like, yeah and benny safty one half of the safty brothers is really carving out a wonderful career for himself uncut gems wonderful movies shut up to premise which at one point sandler drops you know, these, these guys are good directors. Scorsese likes him. He executive produced Uncut Gems. But, but Benny's like, I'm going to be an actor as well. Like, I'll, I'll make movies with my brother, but I'm also going to be an actor. What the hell? I'll appear in Paul Thomas Anderson movies like Licorice Pizza. And I'm going to be an Are You There, God's Me Market. He plays Herb Simon, which is Barbara Simon's husband, Rachel McAdams. Anyways, Rachel tells her daughter, Margaret, the reason uh, my parents don't talk to me, they're devout Christians. They believe that I'm going to burn in hell because they married a Jew. So that's where it's at. But we love you no matter what, and whether it's going to be Christmas or Hanukkah or Rosh Hashanah, we're there for you always. And you can see the struggle that she has. Again, her husband's caring and sweet, but but when you lack that support from your parents, it could be a little bit of a challenge. But the story mainly focuses on on Abby and her journey and these friends she's had, you know, these mean girls that she's with. In the movie, you know, she's 11 years old, and it's one of these coming-of-age stories. You know, some of the funniest scenes or when she's with her friends, and they start to get to that big topic of when are you going to get your period? And the prettiest of the group, you know, she starts bragging. There's always going to be one bragger. Like, oh, I already got my period. Oh, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Oh, really? Well, yeah, I'm growing up now. I'm going to start wearing eyeliner and lipstick. All the boys are going to be fetching after me. And naturally, you know, Abby's getting stressed. How come I can't get my period? What's wrong with me? Why is all this stress and stuff? So I thought, you know, the movie really did an effective job of seeing it through that lens. Pretty tough to make a movie through the eyes of an 11-year-old girl. But when you've got subject material as strong as Judy Bloom, maybe you're already in, in good hands because there's a reason why she's been such a celebrated author for so many years and why that novel is so famous. And I really like the way they intertwine religion. You know, that's the title. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. That's what happens. She prays every night. She prays in her period. She prays for her um, parents to always get along well. She prays to boys to like her. She prays to well in school. She prays that eventually her grandparents, she can see them. And that, by the way, sets the scene for an excellent scene when eventually McAdams, as Barbara Simon, decides to write a letter to her parents and just say, you know what? Love to see you guys. Thanksgiving's coming up, blah, blah, blah. Parents accept the invitation. Hey, it's been too long. They show up. But then Herb's parents, Benny Safety's parents, have other ideas, specifically his mom, Sylvia Simon, played by the incredible Kathy Bates, proud Jew. So she's going to show up at the house as well. So you get a really, I won't spoil it, but a really funny scene in which uh, Sylvia goes after Barbara's parents and they got a good little good little Jewish Christianity battle there happening around the dinner table here in the 1970s. It's uh, good, 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 clean fun, as they say. Ultimately, though, the story is Abby's story, and I think these performances rest on getting a really good child actor who is um, 
effective and affecting. And she's able to be both. So I give the film three beliefs. I credit not only the young actress, Abby Ryder Fortson, but also the actors. And I can see why McAdams got some well-deserved kudos from the critics. And again, shout out to Benny Safdie doing good things. And Kathy Bates is always a pleasure to watch in every movie out there. That's that story when it comes to Are You There, God's Me, Margaret. I'm sure it's readily available right now. The next film on our list is 20 Days in Mariupol. Again, Oscar-nominated documentary, readily available right now on YouTube. So when the nominations came out, I'd seen everything nominated for picture, director, acting category, screenplays. The work I had to do was on international films and documentaries. International films, I've seen three of the five. Sort of interest, um, you know, Society of Snow, etc. Oddly, oddly, the French did not submit Anatomy of a Fall as their French selection. So every country gets to submit one, right? And the one they did didn't get nominated for the file. It's just, just an absolute bonehead move. So Anatomy of a Fall is up for Best Picture and Best Director and Best Actress, but it's not up for Best International Film because the country which produced it said, nah, you know what? We're going to submit this other one instead. I think it was The Taste of Things. And The Taste of Things was not nominated. And so now it, it looks ridiculous because it really feels like the zone of interest is going to have a pretty easy cakewalk towards winning the Oscar for Best International Film. It would have been a really good battle, that movie or Anatomy of Fall, two foreign films, both nominated for Best Picture, both their directors nominated as well. Who's going to win? Regardless, Anatomy of a Fall, because the, the French botching, it didn't work out. Long way of saying, I only have a couple more foreign films to watch. The docs, though, blank slate. As I said, I'm shocked that Michael J. Fox not nominated. Also surprising, American Symphony from John Batiste. It's Colbert's guy. It's supposed to be an excellent documentary about his life with his wife as she's battling an illness and you know the healing power of music. Not nominated. Currently available on Netflix. Readily available. Instead, the favorite is 20 Days in Mariupol, which I mentioned is available on YouTube. And I got to get through all these docs. I got a month here. It's very, very powerful. You know, normally I find documentaries fall into one of two spots, right? Either they're very serious themes. AIDS, racism, war, Holocaust, or it's just quirky, right? It's just weird and strange. From my favorite documentary of all time, as I've told you many a time, um, from My Octopus Teacher, stuff like that, right? Just just bizarre. Uh, Man on Wire is a great, great documentary. Oscar-winning Philippe Petit, 1976, I believe, is when he was doing this. The, the man's just... just <laughs> Putting, putting a beam between the twin towers and just walking back and forth, flaunting. Look at what I'm doing. I'm literally walking on sky. This is the kind of guy he is. Anyways, 20 Days in Mary Pole is in the first list of these serious types of stories. And it's very, very intense. You know, I, I, can, I can watch a lot, but there's a couple of scenes here. Now, by the way, here's what the story's about. It's um, all about the invasion in Ukraine. So it, it's the story of, of what happens. And literally, as, as the Russian invasion began, what happened to Ukraine? So Mariupol, I believe, is, might be the third largest city in Ukraine. And I and credit to the entire team here. Like, I don't even know how these, you know, cinematographers, cameramen, et cetera, like they're, they're able to get this kind of footage. I mean, they're right in people's faces. And then a few times, very early in the movie, as a matter of fact, there's like a family being, I don't even say they're evicted. I think they're just evacuating their apartment building, realizing they're not safe. And the camera's in their face. And the guy's just like, you know, in in. Uh, Russian is saying, you know, get the F out of my face, all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, this is not, uh, these are not people to be trifled with. But as the Russian invasion begins, a team of Ukrainian journalists trapped in the besieged city of Mariupol struggle to continue their work documenting the war's atrocities. And trapped is the right word. As a guy who suffers from claustrophobia, I don't like being trapped anywhere where I am. And there's a few scenes here where they say, okay, they've got one day for people to evacuate. There's one uh, road 
highway available, one exit, one exit is happening on this day. And after that, everything's going to be closed and you're stuck and you are shut down and good luck to you. And uh, like I said, it, it's, it's a tough watch. It's rough for anybody. It's tense and bleak and it's disturbing. And it makes you realize so many people have blood in their hands. You know, and some people in Mariupol blaming their own government for the bombing. You know, I don't know how, how it works necessarily, but they're kind of blaming the Ukrainian government for not standing up to the Russians, et cetera. But it's it's crazy. This is a port city surrounded by Russian soldiers. And once Putin's army goes, they go. And it makes you think about war is hell. And again, I don't want to talk about specific scenes, which are going to keep me up at night. But let's just say they involve babies. And I was like, oh, my God, it's uh, it's heart wrenching. A couple of scenes that you see what's happening to these little babies and trying to survive the atrocities of war. It was um, it was very very upsetting and very tough to stomach. But I think it's important to watch, and I recommend it for that reason. We're going to try to get Mislav Chernoff, the uh, documentarian here on the podcast. I've sent a request to his PR team, so uh, hopefully that will happen at some point, and we'll talk more about the film. For now, I will give it three and a half maple leaves and tell you it's very important to watch, and it's a very strong film. Next up, Oscar-nominated short, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, 40 Minutes on Netflix. I've said before, you know, Wes Anderson used to be one of my favorite filmmakers. You know, right out of the gate, Bottle Rocket's a good movie. Marty loves it. Rushmore, instant classic. I want to talk more about it, but Cody hasn't seen it. So hopefully once he sees it, we'll talk about it more as I rewatched it my cousin over the holidays. And then The Royal Tenenbaums, which is an all-time classic for me. Like though, Right out of the gate, I mean, this guy is my jam. Him and P.T. Anderson, my favorite filmmakers of the new wave. And then I just started to lose interest in Wes Anderson. I go, he keeps making the same movie over and over, and it's repetitive, and it's frustrating, and there's no payoff. Whether it's The Life Aquatic or, you know, The Grand Budapest Hotel, which people did like. I just, I started to get frustrated with his style, and I just found it maddening and uh, not very rewarding. And yet, he just churns them out, and he has these amazing casts. You know, he's people that love working with him, and he's got his real, you know, I, I a cadre of people that are just the Wes Anderson people. No matter what, you're going to get from the movies, whether it's, you know, Jason Schwartzman or now Jeffrey Wright, or even Tom Hanks was in the latest one, Asteroid City. Like, I thought it was awful. EJ Raddick, NHL Network, walked out of the movie. And I was like, no, but somehow he gets these casts. You go, my God, man, Scarlett Johansson, no problem. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson, Jason Schwartzman, Maya Hawk, Rupert Friend, Margot Robbie, Adrian Brody. And yet it wasn't a good time for me. The French Dispatch, again, three separate stories. The first one was great. The separate two to play off of Dispatch was disparate. I thought it was terrible. Moonrise Kingdom, again, some people I didn't care for. Isle of Dogs, I think it was great. Fantastic Mr. Fox is all right, but he, but he never really has hit home like he did out of the gate. So I watched with a jaundiced eye the wonderful story of Henry Sugar and thinking to myself, he is the favorite to win the Academy Award here. And that's where things are going to be interesting. And as always, the West Ender from films, you, you, I mean, you feel like you want to watch it three times because it's so quick. The dialogue is so quick. The narration is so quick that you want to just stare at the screen because anybody who's a filmmaker or loves movies, I mean, you, you can't help but be absorbed by his production design and his intricate attention to detail. Like, it is amazing. And he rarely moves the camera that much. So, like, you know, it's a lot of these, especially early on, you feel like you're watching an Ozu movie. It's like, you know, static shots, but the composition's perfect. And there's so much within the frame that it's fun to see. But at the same time, I mentioned the fact he is irksome. You know, these are some stories. These are adaptations of rural doll short stories. So what he's doing is that rather than have a narrator, he has the person talking and look at the camera and start talking. I'm like, oh my God, this is annoying. So like um, Ben Kingsley is talking to another character, but then he looks at the camera and does the narration of what he's saying. I'm like, oh my God, this is, I don't mind it as a device, you know, occasionally, of course, very famously, Henry Hill and Goodfellas at the end, courtroom scene. But this is like 40 minutes of people talking to each other and then talking to the camera, talking to each other, talking to the camera. Like it's, it's more than self-referential. It's right there in your face. 
So I'll be honest, of the 40 minutes, I'd say 15 minutes in, I was just getting annoyed because I go, God, I just can't take Wes Anderson not being able to stand up his own way and be so Wes Anderson-esque. Like just ripe for SNL parodies at this point with his style, which I'm, I'm sure they've done. But then a funny thing happened. The, the more I sort of watched the story, it kind of takes a little turn here and the Benedict Cumberbatch gets involved and, and I liked it. I, I'm, again, I'm not going to give anything away, but I thought it was a sweet story and it, it does fit what you're kind of hoping to do with a short film, which is capture the audience and really make them appreciate something in less time than normal. And, you know, oftentimes a short is started to do than a fiction film, right? When you have two hours, when you have three hours, you have four hours to tell a story. In some ways, it's easier because you don't have to edit as much. But 40 minutes, it's going to be nice and tight. So I, I, I have real appreciation for any filmmaker that does a live action short. Yeah, I'm going to make a movie in 12 minutes, but it's going to grab you. It's going to be interesting. It's going to have a certain appeal. And in this case, 40 minutes for Wes Anderson, like it's, it's lean. And I think that that can be a challenge. You know, what's the famous Mark Twain line? Sorry, I wrote you such a long letter. I didn't have time to edit it, make it good. So I, I think there's an element to that. I'll, I'll be it being somebody who does love a long movie. I've seen Killers of the Flower Moon four times. It's 13 and a half hours of my life. I've seen Oppenheimer twice. You know, it's six hours of my life. I have no, no problem watching a long movie. It's a great film. I don't care if it's six hours, for God's sakes. But I have great appreciation, again, for short films and what these filmmakers can do. And for Wes Anderson, I give him kudos. If he wins an Oscar, so be it. I'll look at it as that's a good Lifetime Achievement Award, and he should have won for Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore. So good for him. Wes Anderson finally gets an Oscar. He is a unique filmmaker. He has a singular vision. You know, he's sui generis, and I give him credit for that, even as I find some of his movies nauseating. That's a wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Make sure you all check it out. And last one I'm going to mention to you right now is in a short film. It's called Strange Way of Life. It's from Pedro Almodovar. It stars one of my favorite actors, Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal. And when I first heard the story, I go, wait, gay cowboys. We already did this. That was Brokeback Mountain. Okay, they're cattle ranchers, but come on, I kind of say the same thing here. But Almodovar, who is obviously a major name internationally and happens to be gay with a nod to David Sampson, filmmaker, gay, he wanted to do a short as well. He said, you know, I, I kind of have a, I feel that I want to tell some leaner stories as well. So he gets two big-time actors with Hawk and Pascal. And Ethan Hawk plays the sheriff in town. And Pedro Pascal plays a father protecting his son. And lo and behold, as they meet each other, not quite reconciliation. But you discover that they were former lovers. And this is a time where, to be frank, this is not exactly accepted. So do they still have that passion? Will that passion be rekindled? And why exactly are they meeting now? And why exactly is Pascal protecting his son? And what exactly is Ethan Hawke have planned in store for Pedro Pascal's son and for Pedro Pascal? I will say no more except to say I really enjoyed it. Uh, again, short film. So it's, it's something that's easy to digest. I don't know where it's available. Again, I, I was pleasantly surprised to see it on this flight, United, where I paid the extra $51 for the uh, aisle seat. But um, hopefully people can watch it somewhere. Uh, as I'm looking right now, official website, Fandango, Regal, AMC Theaters. All right, so I guess you can find it somewhere streaming in, in some theaters somewhere. But it's uh, it's definitely cool and it's unique. It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and did receive positive awards, uh, performances, I should say. Did not win the Queer Palm Award, but a runtime of 31 minutes, easily accessible. And again, I love Ethan Hawke, everything he does. I think he's a brilliant actor. And Pascal, I thought, was very good. And clearly, his career has taken off after The Last of Us. So those are your reviews as far as newish movies. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Three Maple Leafs. 20 Days in Mariupol. Three and a Half Maple Leafs. The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar from Wes Anderson. Three Maple Leafs and Strange Way of Life starring Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal also gets Three Maple Leafs. Time now for our wild card, Kingsley Ben-Adir. The new film is called One Love, a Bob Marley biopic in theaters next week. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bob Marley, One Love, in theaters on Valentine's Day, and it's a terrific film anchored by a wonderful lead performance by Kingsley Ben-Adir, who's been an excellent actor for a long time. I particularly loved his work in One Night in Miami, Peaky Blinders as well, but now he really has the role of a lifetime playing the Jamaican icon. Kingsley, congratulations on a terrific performance. How you doing? Thank you. I'm doing all right, man. How you doing? So I read this story. This is fantastic. You're on the set of Barbie. Uh, you find it. You got the role of Bob Marley with 10 weeks of preparation. You can't sing. You can't dance. You can't play the guitar, which is required. Now, thankfully, the movie was pushed back. But what happened next when you said to Greta Gerwig, hey, I'm playing Bob Marley? <laughs> she, I mean, Greta, Greta said to me, um, it's going to work out and it's going to time perfectly and you're going to have the time that you need. You're going to shoot Barbie and shoot Bob and get married in between those two things. It's going to be a busy year and it's all going to be all right. And so, uh, <laughs> it, it certainly did because the movie ended up being pushed back, right? It was going to shoot, I think in the summer, then it ended up being pushed back to December. So you had more preparation time, but didn't she build you like a Bob station on the Barbie set? Greta did not build me a set, but the set was built and I used the part of it that wasn't being used. Um, there was lots of Barbie Land was was really big. It was a huge set, and so yeah, you could always find a quiet space to to catch a snooze or do some work or put your feet up. You know, it's very uh, cozy and soft. No, yeah. that's fantastic. Well, clearly, uh, Barbie is a huge success, as I hope Bob Marley One Love will be as well. Um, you know, the biggest thing when I was watching the film, I just thought you were able to really capture the the soulfulness of Bob Marley, the essence of Bob Marley. Who did you meet with from the Marley family in terms of your research? Everyone. I was with uh, not just the family, but Bob's friends and people who worked with him and uh, spent time with Lego and, and Desi and Lenny Dredd, who knew Bob when he was you know, 13, 14, and, you know, I was at Stephen's house, Stephen Marley's house with Ryan and and with Ziggy and and Rita and Sadella and everyone was involved. It was, uh, it was a real, you know, 
finding Bob's voice involved everyone. It, it was a community and I got to to learn about him through the people who knew him and loved him, you know? So it was, yeah, many, many people. What was the best piece of advice they gave you? Not so much advice, but the instruction was that Bob's not just soft. Don't play him soft. There was the reminder that he was, they called him general, you know, and they called him skip. And they called him the tough gong and that he was a man from the ghetto, you know, and he grew up in Trenchtown. You know, the idea we have of Bob in the poster that's in all the dorm rooms in the universities around the West where he's chilled out and all of that. So, you know, I mean, it was, it was about understanding that that is uh, largely a misconception and that there was so much more, the, the complexity and the, um, Bob's life was rich in experience and tough times and, and there was a lot of suffering and struggling and, and, you know, I got to learn about that through the people who were there with him. There's a great scene with you and um, with Bob and his, his spouse, and they're, they're kind of arguing back and forth. She talks about the sacrifices she's made for him. And he's, you know, we're here in Paris. What more do you want kind of thing? And she's like, listen, I have I have desires. I have wishes, demands as well. Great scene with his manager as well, where they're fighting over the currency in Africa. So I think you're right. You were able to show he wasn't just this soft presence who was singing, jamming and smoking weed. He was, he was doing a lot of other things as well. Did you go to Nine Mile in Jamaica? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that experience like? Um, just being in Jamaica, you know, just being in Jamaica and filming in, in the locations and being with the people there on set, I feel like, I think one of the most extraordinary moments for me was being in Bob, one of Bob's houses in Miami where his mum lived and he had all of his birthdays and stuff there and they spent a lot of time towards the end there and, and I went there with Ryan and uh and uh and lenny dread was there there was a guy there who had worked at the house from the 70s and he was a, he was a young man when he came over and he'd had a dream that uh he wanted to be a part of bob marley's movement and he wanted to work for him so he, he got over from st kitts to miami and he he waited outside the house for weeks until bob came and then bob came and invited him in and then he gave him a job and he was still there and and so i was at the house with him and i spent four hours talking to him about his memories of bob and you know and i was there and, and bob's ab roller was there and he'd say remember bob he'd wake up and he'd do some boxing and he'd do some some ab rollers and he said bob was never he didn't never wasn't moving he was always moving around he was like he was here and then you turn around he was gone you know he was busy and he was active and so i, I feel like there was every moment with the family and friends and being in Jamaica was special. Yeah. But that one was really, that one was really stayed with me in a way, you know, um, his memories of Bob was so strong and he, he, he loved him so much. You know what I mean? It was just something really particular about that. And I felt very, uh, yeah, just being at the table and seeing the table and I'd seen the, the dinner table in pictures and stuff when Bob was there. And so it was very surreal. There were so many sur surreal moments. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. In terms of the performance, again, you're able to move like him and, and dance like him. With singing, you know, it's a challenge of biopic. Sometimes, like in Ray Charles, Jamie Foxx does not sing. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Walk the Line does sing. How did that uh, conversation bring about Reynaldo Marcus Green, the terrific director, as far as you want to sing the music? Did, 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 I swear Jamie Foxx sung in 
uh, uh, I don't believe so. They may have done some stuff. They used some of his voice. They kind of melded it together. They did that with Elvis, at least. Yeah, but yeah. he didn't. Some of it was lip syncing. Depends. I can't sing really, you know. And when I talk, when you know, when I'm not work, my voice goes down, and I like to to find Bob's pitch is would take years of work and and stuff, you know. So it was always. It was always set from the beginning that they were going to use Bob's stems and that Ziggy and Stephen were going to come in and mix and, you know, they'd put stuff over my, like, like low time. But it was my, I was never supposed to sing in this movie. I just wanted to learn to sing and play the guitar because that's what Bob did every day. And, you know, to understand what it means to be a musician and to create music, I wanted to, to, to feel that and to learn. So I, I, I asked for teachers and stuff really, really early on. And then I think in the, um, in the scene in, in the bedroom with, with Lashana and, and then down when they create Exodus, I sung and they kept the voice in, which was a surprise to me because I, mm. I really thought that Stephen was going to come and do the, and dub over it. But I think they watched it and the family watched it and they, they said, no, let's leave it as Kingsley's voice, which was mm. news to me. <laughs> that's very flattering when the, when the family gives you the stamp of approval that's very very cool do you have a favorite bob barley song yourself so just say mm. yeah and you, i also you? no i was gonna say i i'm probably a redemption song which i was waiting for when i'm like when are they gonna play it in the movie and i love the way you guys did it it was like you know you're strumming the guitar and the kids are coming around outside it was a very kind of low-key way of doing it which i thought was really beautiful yeah it's the I last it's the last scene we shot Oh, really? Okay. That's yeah. pretty cool. Because you can almost feel the uh, the essence of it. I thought it was amazing, too. Like, you always learn things. I didn't realize Exodus was named the best album of the 20th century by Time Magazine. That's incredible. Yeah, really incredible achievement. I mean, he, what he achieved in that short space of time, you know, was just remarkable. I've listened to that album now probably more than I've listened to any other album. And um, I'm still, I'm not bored of it. You know, it's, you know, the way it opens and the B-side and it's just, it's, it's it's an outpouring of something really profound from Bob, and uh, and it came out of the trauma of that shooting. You know, it was very quick. He came to London after that, and they were they were up and running in a few months. And so, you know, the intensity of that and the feeling of nearly dying, um, and how that sort of transferred over into the creation of the music was something that I, I really you know was paying attention to from from the beginning i was like i don't think that's a coincidence i think psychologists would have would have a lot to say about that um you know when i say it goes create being creation is it is uh it's uh it's one of those things you know it's yeah i could totally see how that would have that kind of an impact we got about a minute and a half here left so i gotta ask you kingsley about one night in miami you won the gotham independent film award for breakthrough performer you were terrific as malcolm x as was uh leslie Odom jr playing sam cook uh, what was that experience like what do you most remember about playing malcolm x what a challenge that must have been i remember it being like a it, uh, it was just incredible to uh to feel trusted by regina and and um i I loved spending time with Malcolm, you know. Um, it was a very short, quick process. I remember I got cast just before Christmas and we were shooting on the 4th of January. So it was, wow. it was some, someone pulled out, someone pulled out and it was a last minute kind of emergency casting. Um, and uh, yeah, it was intense. It was really intense. It was really intense. But I, 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 my growth as an actor, you know, really, that really happened over that 
that period of time. You've played iconic roles now, Malcolm X and Bob Marley, and hopefully many more to come. Bob Marley, One Love, in theaters, Valentine's Day. It's a fantastic performance of Kingsley Ben-Adir and a really wonderful, affectionate, accurate tribute to Bob Marley. Thank you so much, Kingsley. I appreciate you, man. Good luck with the movie. Thank you, bro. Nice one. Thanks once again to Kingsley. I do want to continue our look at the greatness of Paul Giamatti, and I'll do so with Private Life, which is a film that I watched five years ago and enjoyed it. Still didn't connect at the time. Watched it with my wife. I thought it was very good. But it didn't star Giamatti in a central role. He's a co-star. And again, I like my Giamatti when he's starring. So even sideways, you know, he's co-starring with Thomas Hayden Church, but he's the lead performance, as we all know. And Hayden Church was nominated for supporting actor, and deservedly so. But like win-win Giamatti, playing a wrestling coach, great. You know, American Splendor is clearly the lead performance. Uh, the Holdovers, lead performance. It's more and more people are seeing and more and more people are telling me how much they're enjoying. And I'm really glad to hear that people are discovering it on Peacock or streaming wherever it may be. But Private Life, this is truly a co-star performance because it's about a couple. And makes me think of what my history teacher told me years ago. He says, it better to know a little bit about everything or to know everything about one thing. And I said, well, a little bit about everything. Obviously, everybody wants to be well-rounded in life. He said, hmm. but if you know everything about one thing, you're an expert on that topic. So I say this with regards to private life. This is the best movie I've ever seen about this topic, which is infertility. A couple coping with infertility struggle to keep their marriage going as they navigate through the world of adoption and assisted reproduction. It's directed by Tamara Jenkins, who's really a terrific independent filmmaker. Who's, you know, had real success at Sundance. Now, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about the movie. I remember when it came out at Sundance in 2018. And by the way, tease ahead to next week. We're doing Whiplash. All-time smashing Sundance debuts. 10th anniversary of Whiplash next week. I watched it again. Incredible. J.K. Simmons, Miles, Tyler, Damien, Chazelle. But Pride of Life is a real Sundance movie, and Tamara Jenkins made her name in Sundance, and then Kyle followed this up. This was a Netflix movie, though. It came out in October of 2018 of that year. But it's, it's a beautiful film. You know, the consensus from critics was Private Life uses one couple's bumpy journey to take an affecting look at an easily identifiable and too rarely dramatized right of adult passage. And that is right. You know, I, I would bet most of us were adults know at least somebody out there who's had a struggle to try to have kids. And watching this movie, you appreciate just how harrowing it is and how challenging it is and how difficult it is. And how sad it is. You know, I, I think if, if you don't watch this movie, you kind of think, well, generally it's an issue with the wife, right? She got some of their eggs. But as this movie makes clear early on, when Giamatti goes to a sperm bank, which is hilarious scene, by the way, he goes in and just watching this porno. Like this, this girl's just getting pounded from behind. And the look on his face, he's just like, just clearly not turned on by this, but this is what I'm supposed to do. And there's some good physical comedy. Again, I want people to watch the movie, Private Life on Netflix. There's excellent physical comedy by Giamatti, just in that scene alone. Later on, they come back, they're talking to the wife, played by the incredible Catherine Hahn, who's known more for comedies, but it's a real uh, dramatic stretch that she's able to show off in this movie. And she says, your husband has no sperm. And she says, what? what do you mean? Because there was no, there was no sample. He didn't, uh, you know, didn't perform. Which you might think was the case from the previous scene. He was not being turned on by the pornography that he was being given to watch. She says, no, no. She says, he has semen. He doesn't have sperm. And later the doctor starts explaining. He goes, you know when you go to the movie theater? And he's like, they've got one tube here, which is the syrup. And then they've got this other tube. And when you mix them together, it gives you Mountain Dew. He's like, well, in this case, what's happening is that, you know, the sperm is there, but there's no semen because the semen is being blocked. So we've got to do a little bit of work here in a surgery to, to make that happen so that, you know, in this case, Giamatti's character will be unblocked. And like, I never thought to myself that a doctor would be using Mountain Dew as an example, but Giamatti's character, Richard Mealy says, well, you know, I only have one testicle, which is 
a talking but that comes up many a time. You know, later on, he's, he's, he's talking to Sadie, who's kind of his niece. Well, I'll explain why it's a kind of. And again, he explains, listen, I only have one testicle. Like they, they mentioned at least three or four times. The fact that he's stuck with one ball, is he going to be able to reproduce? How does that impact things? And Catherine Hahn, the fact that she's somebody older, as they both are, in her 40s trying to have a baby. And I thought one of the best scenes in the movie is Catherine Hahn playing Rachel complains about feminism and people, you know, kind of blaming women and, you know, putting so much pressure on them. And Giamatti's Richard says, you know, it, it is kind of on us, though. And she said, what do you mean? He's like, you know, you didn't want to have kids right away. You were having your career and your, you know, author slash publisher, literary person. You were focused on that. We didn't want to have kids right away. And she's like, wait, you're putting on me? Said, I'm, I'm not putting on anybody. I'm just saying that was the case. You were career oriented. And she goes, excuse me. I thought I could have kids in my 40s. He goes, okay, fine. Like that, that is what we thought. And now look at what has happened. We're 41. And this is, she's 41. He's 46. He's like, it is very challenging to have a child. And you could imagine in couples how many times that conversation comes up, right? When, when everyone else knows they're trying to have a child, but they're having problems. It's the woman's fault. She's infertile. Something's wrong with her eggs. It's his sperm. It's his semen. She's too old. You know, the, that blame that goes on. Imagine from the outside. Well, then imagine from it intrinsically between the couples, how that blame game continues, right? She'll throw it back at him. Well, you're the one who's got no sperm. You're the one who's got the one ball, which by the way, is not explaining why. Did he have testicular cancer or exactly happened? But I mentioned the sometime niece or somewhat of a niece. This is where the story really gets interesting. So the first half hour, you know, they're trying to have kids that they're fighting all the time, but they're doing their best. And then you know, they're, they're trying everything they can. That's again, you have such empathy for couples that are going through this. On the one hand, they're trying adoption. They go, oh, so you're getting trying to have a child. They go, no, 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 we're trying everything. We're trying to have a child. We're paying for the IVF, which is very expensive, $10,000. Jimmy's got a bar to off his brother, the great John Carroll Lynch playing Charlie. Unforgettable in Fargo. I'll make you some eggs. He's got one of those character faces. His wife, Molly Shannon, again, another comedian type actress playing Cynthia, but she's got some pretty strong dramatic chops. Anyways, he's borrowed 10 grand from his brother. They're doing the IVF. It has a low success rate. So they're, they're trying everything, right? They're trying to adopt a kid, but that's a long process trying to adopt a child. They're trying IVF. That's a long process. Also, it doesn't often work. What's the next option? It's an egg donor. This I really didn't know a ton about, but they're explaining it. They go, what happens is, and when Catherine gets so mad in one scene, she goes, yeah, yeah. Well, it's because she said to Jimani, they're going to take your sperm, mix it with another woman's egg, mix that together, and she goes, and then just shove it up my pussy. Like, this is what we're doing. She goes, it's your sperm, so you can feel like it's your child, but it's somebody else's egg. This is going to be just, just, you know, this is what's going to happen. And she goes, later on, she goes, I, I got to go to this doctor right now. He's going to have a dildo cam, put it up my twat. And let me know what this is going to be like when they shove this up there. And because you don't expect me to have some pain, some frustration, some sadness about this. And again, you got to pay for the egg, right? College women are doing this. I'll go and eat some eggs, help somebody have a kid. I don't know if I'm going to have kids. And that gets them upon the idea, hey, maybe we'll ask Sadie. Who's Sadie? That's Kaylee Carter. Somewhat niece? Here's why. Because G-Money's brother is John Carroll Lynch, and Kaylee Carter as Sadie is his stepdaughter. So it would have been very, very odd. <laughs> If the uncle was using his niece's egg, but instead it's his brother's stepdaughter who they think about talking to. She loves them. She loves Richard and Rachel, Giamatti and Han. She goes to spend time with them. She's having a problem with her parents. And they're like, okay, maybe we should ask her. We've asked other people. She's young. We know her, hopefully fertile, et cetera. You know, this girl's like 18 years old, 19 years old. So that's a tough conversation to have. You can see the humor in that conversation. And again, the, the movie, what Tamara Jenkins really does a great job of his balancing the art of serious with, with comic, right? There, this is serious subject matter, of course, but there's obviously great humor and great levity to be had without it. 
you know, once when the adoption person is coming to visit him, like, Gee, maybe we should move this picture. There's just a giant painting of a woman snatch. She's, and she's like, whatever, it's an artistic look. This is what it is. She goes, you think that this woman is going to be off put by this? Like she knows we're bohemian lifestyles. He's a theater director and she's like a, an author working in the publishing world. She's going to be off put by a woman bare naked from the bottom down. Come on. Anyways, they approach Sadie, talk to her about it, and she's game for it. She, you know what? I love you guys. If it's going to help you have a kid, you know who's not game for it? Her parents. Great scene at the dinner table. When when Sadie announces it without having told anybody, and the look on Giamatti and Catherine on his face, we, we haven't formalized this. Maybe this isn't the best time. Molly Shannon and Cynthia pissed. Because Catherine says, listen, we're not going to do this without your permission. Because you don't have it. Imagine if this was your daughter. Your daughter's just giving up her eggs at 18. Like, no, we're not doing this. There's complications. There's challenges. Sandy's saying, it's my body. You can't tell me what to do. She's like, no, no, you're not, you're not donating your eggs to these people. It's not happening. Awkward spot for the brothers. Later on, good scene playing squash. Rare to get a good squash scene. Last good squash scene, splash. Little Tom Hanks, John Candy action. Um, but John Carroll Lynch, as Charlie tells his brother, like, hey, man, I, I, I'm good with it. Like, it's a little weird. Like, it's my stepdaughter's eggs. Going to be with mixing with your sperm, but whatever. If it helps you have a kid, like I'm all for it. And eventually, Cynthia comes around and realizes, hey, Sadie, it's your decision, it's your body. I'm not in favor of it. I don't like it, but I'm not going to tell you what not to do. From there, I will say no more because I do want you guys to watch the movie. It's available on Netflix. It's been out for five years, but check out Private Life because from there, I think it's unexpected what happens. Um, I won't quite say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but but. Sadie wants to help. She wants to give her egg, and clearly they want to have kids. And after that, it gets a little bit dicey. But I will say the last shot of the movie is absolutely perfect. You know, so often, how many movies do we all watch and say, okay, I liked it until the ending. Great until the ending. If only they could have stuck the landing. This movie sticks the landing. And in a real India tour sense, you know, I love a good open-ended ending. And uh, it's such a sublime moment. It's, it's perfect. That last shot lasts a minute. And then the, the end credits come up as the shot continues. I can only imagine on the set, Tamara Jenkins like, all right, this is going to be the shot. And then you're going to just hold this for a minute. And we're going to roll the end credits. It's, it's perfect. In many ways, so is Private Life. Great film and a great showcase for my man, Paul Giamatti, who in many ways is playing like just a very naturalistic character. You know, He's playing a theater director in New York City, 47 years old, takes a train, doesn't have much money, has a couple of dogs, rarely sleeps with his wife. They're trying to have kids. I, I thought it was really... It's brilliant acting by him and shows how he can play just an everyman and is always great. As my friend Scott Spinelli said, he's uh, Jeffrey Wright, kind of like the black Giamatti. Always great, always in supporting roles. Now Jeffrey Wright gets a lead performance in American fiction. Knocked out of the park. It's an Oscar nomination. I love it. Go watch movies uh, done by Paul Giamatti and by Jeffrey Wright because both those guys are deserving of your kudos. Thank you, as always, to all of you for listening. I appreciate Chris Cody being able to do this. He's editing this together while on assignment in Vegas. So uh, thank you again to Kingsley Benadir. Thanks to Chris. Thanks to Taylor as well for chip hitting, uh, pinch hitting, I should say. Chip hitting. Pinch hitting and chip hitting. Thank you so much for supporting Cinephile. Again, coming down the pike, hopefully Dave Carger from TCM has his new book, 50 Years of Oscar. Ed Swick, his new book, Hits, Flops, and Other Illusions. That book's coming out next week. So, uh, great filmmakers and great authors in the way. Thank you as always for supporting Cinephile, and I'll see you at the movies. Enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? 
What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.